Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Tim Spanberg here. We're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can open it there. I'm going to read our text for us, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So find it now as I read or hold on and, and listen to this text. But that's where we'll be this morning. So here is... The word of the Lord, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on accounts of the works themselves. This is God's word. I have been yelled at by a monk. Maybe you've had that experience, probably not. The context was I was at Indiana University in campus ministry there, and once a month, all of the religious leaders would gather and talk, just have good relationships with one another. Well, the Dalai Lama was going to visit Bloomington, Indiana at one point, and this Catholic monk really wanted to have an interfaith prayer service where we all came to uh, together ahead of the Dalai Lama coming. And there's some of us, especially some of us on the evangelical Christian side, who, who said, you know, we can't participate in an interfaith prayer event because we believe we are praying to different gods. And this angered the monk and in one of our meetings started yelling at me and others, it wasn't just me, uh, but started yelling at me and others because we were not willing to go and pray with people of other religions. A, m- a yelling monk is truly a sight to behold, even if he's yelling at you. But in some ways, I understand why the monk yelled. Our culture believes that no one should claim that your truth is the truth, that your Belief in God is right, and there are other people who believe the incorrect things about God, that no one should say their religion is superior to other religions. That's sort of taken for granted as true in our own cultural moment. Some Christians even say, well, that's what Jesus thinks, that he just says he's one of many ways. But we've called the series Jesus Speaks for Himself. So what does Jesus say on the matter. How might he have responded to my friend, the yelling monk? 
He says a pretty exclusive thing here. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. In our culture of inclusivity, this is about as offensive and exclusive a statement that could be made. And so if claiming that you know the truth is arrogance, Jesus says one of the most arrogant things our culture can imagine him saying. So what do we do with that as Christians who want to follow the teachings of Jesus? And yet he says something that's very out of line with what our culture takes as True. Well, let's, let's put a few questions to the text as we think through this together. One, what is Jesus' exclusive claim? When he says, I am the truth, what is he saying? What's exclusive about what he's saying? Uh, second is, what is his way? What is the way of Jesus that is exclusive? And thirdly, how do you and I join that way? So first, what is exclusive about what Jesus is saying? Uh, last uh, or a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was on a vacation with my family. And one of the, my favorite things that we do together is go to national parks and see the beauty of God's creation together. So last couple week, couple weeks ago, we were at Joshua Tree National uh, Park. And now that my kids are getting a little bit older, one of my favorite things to do is get to go on hikes with my kids. So last summer, we were at Glacier National Park. And my son, Micah, was kind of at the age where we could go on our first hike together. And we went on one of my favorite hikes in Glacier to St. Mary's and Virginia Falls. It's this beautiful, huge, roaring waterfall at the end of a, of a couple mile hike after you hike a little ways out into the forest. And so my wife dropped us off. We got on the trail. We hiked to the waterfall. Uh, we, we sat under the waterfall. It's just incredibly cold water. And then we hiked back. The whole point being you start on that trail because the end of that trail was this beautiful waterfall. Well, in our culture, a lot of uh, people say all religions lead to the same place, right? There might be many different trails to get to the end result, but all religions end up in the same place. They teach the same basic things. There's just two problems with, with that statement, which many in our day take for granted. The first is it kind of flattens 2,000, 3,000, actually several thousand years of religious history where actually religions are very different in what they teach and where they say that you're going. And depending on if you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian, the end result of that faith, what those religious leaders promised you, what the end of that trail is, is very different depending on the religion that you are. The religions actually don't all teach the same thing, and it's, it's kind of kind of arrogant to say, no, actually all religions say basically the same thing. When most people from within those religions would say, no, I, I believe very different things than a Christian would or than a Buddhist would. But the second problem with that statement is that actually is an exclusive truth claim itself. And actually in some ways more arrogant than the, the Christian or the Muslim who would say my religion is right. Because the person who says, you know, all religions lead to the same place is actually saying, you know, all religions and what they teach are wrong, and I only understand them correctly. And even though they don't think they're all teaching the same thing, I see them all more clearly than they see themselves, and they're all leading to the same place. Can you see what, what begins to sound like a pretty humble statement? All religions teach the same thing, lead to the same place, is actually claiming to know that you know better than all religious traditions all through history, and you know where they're going better than they know where they're going. I don't think that statement ultimately works, that, that all religions lead to the same place. Actually, religions make very different claims about where they're offering to take you. 
And just like if you go over go to Glacier National Park, not all trails end at Virginia Falls. You have to go on the trail that leads you to Virginia Falls. So all religions lead you to a different place because they're telling you they're leading you to a different place. So where, where does Jesus say, if you follow him, he will lead you? What's the end of his trail, so to speak? Well, he's very clear in John 14 in a number of ways. First, in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms, for we're not so. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may, uh, that where I am, you may be also. Here, where Jesus says, this is where we're going together. Or listen to verse 9 again. Uh, Jesus said to him, to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Can you hear what Jesus is saying? If you, if you get on my trail, if you come my way, this is where we're going. Well, verse 6 makes it most clear. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where is Jesus saying, if you, if you follow me, here's where we go. Here's where we end together. And the answer is, the ending place, the end of that trail with Jesus, the end of the way of Jesus is the Father. It's knowing God as Father. Take up life with Jesus, and you will know the God of this universe as your Father. It's important because oftentimes when we think all religions lead to the same place. We think heaven or nirvana or a state of bliss. And to some extent, Jesus is speaking to that. When he talks about taking us to a house with many rooms, that's clearly a reference to heaven. But, but heaven or the idea of heaven is sort of in the background. What's in the foreground is the Father. Jesus says the Father is preparing a place for you in his house. And if you come through me, you're going to get into the Father's house. You're going to get home to the Father. Follow me, Jesus says, and you will know God as your Father. Which raises the question, do you want to know God as your Father? And for some of us, that's a, a difficult proposition, depending on your own earthly father. That may be a, a complicated question in, uh, to, to answer, but for those of us who, who maybe have read through the Bible know, when, when Jesus mentions God as our Father, he has some very specific things in mind. And I think the best place where this is described is in 1 John 3, 1. We read this verse, this passage, a few weeks ago in our 1 John series, where John, the author of this gospel, writes a letter to a church and says, 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so Jesus said, or John says, to know God as Father is to know love. The Father loves his children. Or another way to illustrate this, one of the most famous Christians in history is, is Martin Luther. And if you know Martin Luther's story, it begins early in his life where he's, he wrestles with God because he knows he's not a good person. He has sin in his life. And his hope is that he can become such a good person, he'll win God's favor so that he knows God loves him. 
And that God it will not run away from him. That God will not be disappointed with him. And yet every time Martin Luther confessed his sins before God, he just had this sense. God's disappointed from in me. God is running away from me. God is distant from me because I am not who I should be in order to be with God. And what helped Luther recover from that intense personal suffering and distance from God was his belief that God, through Jesus, is now his Father who loves him. And so there's a moving a letter where Luther's writing to a Christian who is struggling with very similar things. Does God love me? Has God disappointed me? Things we all struggle with from time to time. And Luther writes this friend. He actually he switches the metaphor from father to mother, but, but the parental love is, is similar in both cases. Because Luther is envisioning the way his wife has cared for his children. And so he writes to his friend who's struggling with this idea that God loves him. And he says this. You say that the sins which we commit every day offend God, and therefore we are not saints. To this I reply, mother love or father love is stronger than the filth and shabbiness on a child. And so the love of God toward us is stronger than the dirt that clings to us. Accordingly, although we are sinners, we do not lose our filial or family relation on account of our filthiness, nor do we fall from grace on account of our sin. What Luther's saying is a father or a parent's love for a child is so strong, it it overcomes even the filth on a child. And to illustrate this in a pretty filthy way, when we were on vacation a couple weeks ago, like there's this sickness just ravaged our family. And so one of our, one of our kids were sitting there eating dinner and he had felt fine up until that point, And then he didn't feel fine. And he just, he just threw up right at dinner at the dinner table with all of us sitting there. Wasn't great. Um, when that happens, right. And he's sick and now there's, there's filth. What did my wife and I do in response? It's his parents, it's, it's his father's. We immediately moved in love towards him, right? Cleaned him up, laid him down, helped him have rest. And and when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the, the life, no one comes to the Father through me, what he's saying is, I need you to get back to where you understand God loves you as your Father, and he wants to respond to your filth, your sin, your brokenness by moving towards you in love, not running away from you in disappointment and anger. That's what it means to have God as our Father. But that's an exclusive claim in that that Jesus is the only one who says this. We take for granted today the idea like, well, yeah, God's our father. We're all his children. But you, you need to understand, Jesus is the only religious figure leader who comes to you and says, if you follow my way, God will become to you a loving, gracious, merciful father. No one else says that. So in that sense, it's an exclusive claim. And just to say, well, every religion says that, it's not true. Jesus alone says, come through me and you'll know God as father. That's his exclusive claim. Okay, so that's nice. Question two then, what is the way of Jesus? When Jesus says, I am the way, what is he he's saying? Well, when our culture says you should not have a claim or you should not claim that you have an exclusive or you know the exclusive truth. You shouldn't claim your religion's right. Everyone else is wrong. There's an aspect of that. I I understand and sympathize with, right? A a lot of of why we feel that way is, is in a post nine 11 world, we know what happens when people who believe their religion is true 
and they could turn to, to violence. And of course, that's not just true on 9-11. That's true in Christian history. That's true in, in almost every religious tradition. There's a history of violence, of we know the truth, and therefore we're going to respond in violence to people who disagree with us. That's the most intense version, but sometimes people of different religions just oppress one another. We're right, you're wrong, so we're going to hold you lower than us. Or other ways I've seen this work out is, is even in personal evangelism, where someone is sharing Jesus, but they're sharing Jesus in a way that's, that's angry or judgmental or, or condescending. That's, that if you think you have the truth and other people are, are wrong, it can quickly lead to arrogance and pride and, and, and in its worst forms, oppression and violence. I, I think that's why our culture reacts against exclusive truth claims. And, and we should be right to, to think that that is what happens often with exclusive truth claims. But the response which our culture gives is, well, therefore get rid of all exclusive truth claims. It doesn't work. Because ultimately we are all claiming to know the truth, that we're right and perspectives outside of ours are even, are, are wrong. So back to the yelling monk. He's yelling at us because we can't go to the interfaith prayer service because that is against our own religious tradition. Which yelling is not a particularly inclusive environment or inclusive act practice, right? So even though his, his take is no one has the truth and we're all in this together and let's all pray together, it's a very inclusive statement. Actually, that, that theology led him to a very exclusive action because those of us who said, you know, I, I don't think we actually all believe the same things. We're actually, we're not all praying to the same God. That exclusive practice we engaged in led him to his exclusivity, which is I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to yell at you until you come to my prayer service, which typically doesn't work. Yelling typically doesn't get people to prayer services. But can you see why? Ultimately, we all think we have the truth. We all have an exclusive claim on the truth. And so the question for us is not, do you believe you have an exclusive truth? Because the answer is we all do. The question is, what kind of person will your exclusive truth make you? What is that exclusive truth you have? So Jesus says something in verse 10. He, he, He says this, Uh, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father is in me? That the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus says, the Father has done his works through me. Now that's an important phrase, because throughout John's gospel, John has has used a word, um, which is, is the word sign. That Jesus has done a few things through the gospel of John that John refers to as a sign which is meant to to mean that Jesus is doing the work of the Father, right? The sign is is proof Jesus has been sent by the Father to lead us back to the Father. And I want to tell you what a few of those signs are. What Jesus and John, his his disciple, said proves he is from the Father. The first sign in the Gospel of John is in John 2. Jesus is at a wedding. They run out of wine which in that day would have meant the party was over. It would have meant shame for the host of the party. And so Jesus' mom comes to him and says, listen, we're out of wine. (laughs) And Jesus at first says, my time has not yet come. But eventually Jesus turns water into wine so that a wedding party doesn't end early. That's the first sign Jesus says proves that he is from the Father is that a wedding celebration didn't have to end early. 
It's to dispense joy. It's to give life and life to the full. Hey, when we party in the kingdom of God, it doesn't end early. That's what Jesus is saying. It's miracle one, sign one, the work of the Father. Another sign in the Gospel of John is is his disciples come up to a man who's born blind, and there's a debate that that opens up, which is, who sinned, this guy or his parents? In other words, why, why is he blind? Did he fail God or did his parents fail God? Why is he blind? And Jesus says, you're, you're all wrong. <laughs> Neither one of those are, are correct. God's not like that. And then he goes on to say, actually, the reason this man was born blind is so that now you could see that I can heal him from it. And Jesus heals the man born blind, and he can see again. And Jesus healed him. And we're told that's a sign proving Jesus is, the, is from the, the Father. Third story, and this is, this is maybe my favorite um, there was a pool in Jerusalem in that day called the Pool of Siloam. And the pool every now and then would kind of bubble up. And, and people who were, were sick would try to get into the pool because they thought, if we get into the pool, the water will heal us from our infirmities. Well, there was a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years, for a long time. Um, and obviously he couldn't get into the pool. And there were so many people there. Whenever the water stirred up, he could never get into the pool. So Jesus, he comes to this crowded scene, right? All of these sick people around this pool. And he comes to the man who could never get in because he, he's not able to walk. He's been there thirty. He's been there decades. And Jesus goes to him and says, "Do you want to be healed?" And the man says, "Yes, that's why I'm here. I, but I can't get into the water." Um, and then Jesus says, "Take up your mat and walk." And the man gets up and and walks. And we're told this is a sign. Jesus is from from the Father. So what what is the way of Jesus? What is Jesus' exclusive truth? What proves he's from the Father? Well, it's the dispensing of joy. Parties don't end early. It's the healing of brokenness, right? What's wrong in this world, the blindness. And it's also this, this advocacy and presence with the vulnerable and forgotten. The man who could never get in the pool, that's who Jesus goes and talks to. In the kingdom of God, no one is left out. No one's forgotten. That's the exclusive truth claim at the, the heart of Christianity. Is, is unending joy, care for the vulnerable, and healing for a broken world. And, and, it, and if you and I, like if we made that the center of our being, if we are Christians, if that's what we believe Jesus reveals about the Father, what kind of people would that make us into? Hopefully people of, of incredible joy, people who, who want to heal what's broken in this world, use our lives to enact justice in the world around us as much as we can, and people who pay, pay special attention to vulnerable people. If that's our exclusive truth game, it's not going to make us do violence, or at least it shouldn't. It's not going to make us turn on other people. It's not going to make us be prideful or arrogant against other people. It's going to do the opposite. Do you see that the love the Father is revealed through Jesus? That when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's not on a debate stage owning his opponents and how wrong they are. No, he is dispensing joy. He is healing the broken. He is giving love to the vulnerable. That's the way of Jesus, the exclusive way of Jesus. So then third and finally, how do we, how do we join this way of, of Jesus? And, and listen, if we're told, first verse. Jesus says, let, heart, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Belief, 
faith. That's how you join the way of Jesus. And so I want to say two things about belief. First, belief is, is, is you walk on his way. You walk on the way of Jesus. That Jesus describes himself as a trail. He's a path in which you walk. I love uh, Annie Dillard as an author. And one of the things she says, it's simple but profound. She writes, how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. In one sense, that's obvious. But what she's saying is we all make hundreds of decisions throughout the day. And all of those decisions add up to, to where we're trying to go, who we're trying to be, what we want out of this life. And so that raises the question, well, what, what do all those hundreds of decisions say about what I want my life to be, where I think I'm going, what I want my life to be about? Oh, when, I, when I went on that hike with my son, Micah, like, we, we needed a map and we needed a trail in front of us to get to that waterfall. If you would just drop me off in the middle of Glacier National Park and like pointed in the gen- general direction, hey, there's a waterfall that way, good luck, I would never have gotten there. I needed a trail, I needed direction, I needed clarity. And Jesus is saying, I am the way, I'm the path where all of your hundreds of decisions add up to a knowledge of and a relationship with the Father. But too often we think of belief as, well, I agree with certain ideas or I believe certain things to be true. And that is a part of it, but it's, it goes beyond that. It goes, it goes into saying, I want what Jesus says he's offering to me, so I'm going to walk on the trail that I know will lead me to where Jesus goes. And so the question for us is, do we want the Father? Do we want the life that Jesus is offering us? Or do we want something else? What are the hundreds of decisions we make every day add up to say about where we actually want to go in life? Do we want to go to the Father? Or are we trying to get somewhere else? The Jesus life is a way. It's a set of patterns and practices and values that Jesus prayed to the Father regularly. He fasted from meals because his true food was from the Father. He gave generously to the poor, oftentimes more in healing, but we're told they, they carried a money bag around to give generously to the poor as well with his disciples. He listened to hurting people, engaged them. He was gentle. He was humble. How much of your life do you, do you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to act like Jesus. I know I'm not Jesus, but I'm going to do the things he did so that one day I might become the kind of person that he is like. And that's actually next week's sermon, so I'm going to stop that there. But all that to say is, do the hundreds of decisions you make every day pattern yourself after Jesus because you want to get, you want to go to the Father in the house He's preparing for you, or if you were to look at your calendar, your time spent, would you, would you say, no, I, I think I may be trying to get somewhere else. That ultimately, if my life is spent searching on Amazon for the next purchase, watching the next show in my Netflix queue, is spent streaming or, or, or scrolling through my my phone. I'm making decisions to try to get somewhere else than where Jesus wants me to go. And he wants me to go to the Father. So you have to walk on his way. But secondly, faith is embracing your helpless estate. Right? Maybe that's, that's crushing what I just said. It's like, hey, your hundreds of decisions you make every day, do they add up to a life of trying to get to the Father? And maybe that's just overwhelming and, and crushing to you. And it's okay because it is to me too. 
Um, but that's why Jesus says he's a way. Right? He, he, he has carved the way back to the Father. As I said, if you drop me off in the middle of Glacier Park, there's no way I could get to the waterfall. I need a trail. I need, I need a map. I need guides. I need help. And if I can't get through a couple of miles of forest to find a waterfall in Glacier National Park, how, how in the world are you and I ever going to traverse a universe to get back to God the Father, to know Him as our Father? We have no chance at all to do that. And that's actually okay. This is why Jesus says he's the way. See, every other religion says, we have the way and we'll show it to you. And you can do it if you try really, really hard. Jesus says, you can't do it. So I'm the way. And I'm going to go first. And you can come with me. But ultimately, when Jesus says this, the disciples are confused. Like, well, wait, if, where are you going? Like, if you're the way and you're going to go somewhere without us, where exactly are you? Where are you going? And, and they're concerned. And the reason they're concerned, we didn't read the passage, but in John 13, Jesus has just said, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going uh, away. And so they're, they're concerned. That's why Jesus begins John 14 by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. So where is he going? Well, he says, to prepare a place for you in my father's house. So why would they be troubled? Why would they still be troubled if Jesus is going to prepare a place for them? Well, because Jesus knows he's not just going to a house somewhere to prepare a room for them. The means by which he's going to prepare a room for his disciples and us in the Father's house is a cross. That's why he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You're going to see some things in the coming days that are going to be hard, but don't be troubled because what I'm doing on that cross, is getting a room ready for you in my Father's house. He's preparing a place for us. I mean, that is an exclusive truth claim (laughs) that is pretty stunning. Jesus says, I'm going to die for you so that you have a room in my Father's house. And if you and I were to believe that, as, 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 as Jesus is an exclusive truth claim, I mean, imagine how that would change the way we evangelize. And too many times when I, when I hear people talk about evangelism, it's like trying to argue people in the kingdom of God or, or berate them into the kingdom of God. But what, what Jesus is actually doing is saying, can I show you the way back to the Father? Can I show you your way back home? How much of our evangelism sounds like, like that? So how do we join the way of Jesus? Well, we believe. We can't do it. He's got to do it for us. It is a way, a path, path pattern we walk, but, but where I want to leave us is to not forget that, that what Jesus says he's taking us is, is to the Father, and no one else says this. One of the most, most stunning moments in John's gospel at the very end, after he's died, he's buried, he's been resurrected from the dead, his friend Mary goes to the tomb looking for him, and he's not there. And she eventually encounters the resurrected Jesus in the garden, And Jesus says this to her, to Mary. He says, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Jesus refers to God 
as your father, as the disciple's father. He refers to the disciples as his siblings, as his brothers, as his sisters. There is no other religion or religious teacher that says anywhere near in the universe of what Jesus is saying here. Which is why if you still think, you know, every religion teaches the same thing. They're, all based, they're not the same thing. This is completely categorically different. Jesus is saying, I've died, I've been buried, I've been raised. And I'm going to your father for you to know him as your father. The, the message of Christianity ultimately is the father wants you to come home. And Jesus says, I'm going to a cross because the father wants you to come home. So come this way. Come with me. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Come to the Father, which means however broken you are, however much you think God is disappointed in you, however much you think God doesn't want anything to do with you, however much you think God maybe has given up on you, come to Jesus, come to him in faith, join his path, admit your helplessness, And for the rest of your life, every prayer you ever pray will not be, God, please listen to me, even though you shouldn't. God, please hear my prayer. God, please don't give up on me. No. Christians begin every prayer. Our Father. Let me pray. Our Father, we we thank you. That is what we get to pray. For every Christian in this room who maybe is, is wondering, does the Father love me? Uh, Spirit, go to work on their hearts. Remove the lies of Satan and have them hear the words of Jesus, that to come to Jesus is to know you as our, our Father. And for those who've never yet professed faith in Jesus, belief in Jesus, God, give them eyes to see the love you have for them as, your fa- as their Father, as, as you want to be their Father. God, what good news. Now as we prepare to sing, working in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.